DW Africa Link. It's Tuesday, the 12th of December, 2023. On this day, 60 years ago, Kenya gained its independence from Britain. You are listening to DW's Africa Link program for stories that are making headlines in Africa and the rest of the world. My name is Josie Mahachi. And I'm Isaac Mugabe. A warm welcome from me too. would like to invite you to contribute to the program via our Facebook page, DW Africa. Now coming up, Kenya is 60, but are Kenyans happy? There's no improvement. Kenya is not the Kenya we expected it to be. There's no growth. That's all I can say. There are no signs of people celebrating the Muridi. People are losing interest in such uh, celebrations. And as has Kenya progressed in terms of governance? We hear from a political and scientist. Kenya is at a place where the colonial project that started in 1963 just ended. And I can tell you that the methods that are being introduced by these gentlemen are completely a breakaway. We'll be back with the details of these stories, but first, the world news in brief. DW News. Hello, I'm Keith Walker. Negotiators at the COP28 climate summit in Dubai have gone into overdrive trying to avert failure. Some countries, including Germany, the US and the UK, are refusing to sign up to the latest draft deal, where a reference to phasing out fossil fuels was taken out. Here's German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock. This text is clearly insufficient and disappointing. So as we, as the European Union, are standing for fair and accessible energy for all in this world, we cannot support this text. Kenyan President William Ruto says Kenya is emerging out of debt distress. Speaking at celebrations marking 60 years since Kenya's independence from Britain, Ruto called the country's high taxes a necessary sacrifice. Together, we have made the right choices, sometimes taken very difficult and painful decisions to steer Kenya back from the age of a catastrophic cliff of debt distress and move our country in a new direction. Proudly, these sacrifices have paid off. I can now confirm, without fear of any contradiction, that Kenya is safely out of the danger of debt distress and that our economy is on a stable footing. And you can hear more on Kenya at 60 coming up next here on Africa Link. Rwanda's election commission announced on Tuesday that the East African nation will hold presidential and parliamentary elections in July next year. President Paul Kagame will seek to extend his roughly three decades in control of the East African country. Kagame has won international acclaim for presiding over peace and economic growth since the end of the 1994 Rwanda genocide, in which more than one million ethnic Tutsis and moderate Hutus were killed. Africa Link News comes to you from Germany's international broadcaster, DW. The Global Refugee Forum is underway in the Swiss city of Geneva. The number of people who are displaced around the world is at an all-time high, over 114 million. The summit aims to show that change is possible. UNHCR Goodwill Ambassador Kate Blanchett says the focus of the meeting should be education for refugees, supporting host nations and hearing personal accounts of those forced to flee their homes. 
Blanchett travelled to Jordan, Niger and South Sudan this year as part of her humanitarian role. And I think the other thing is that the Sustainable Development Goals have been acknowledged that they will fail unless refugees are at the heart of those Sustainable Development Goals. So I think it'll be really important for people to hear the voices of refugees themselves about what they need and how they can be part of the solutions. Finally, the French Parliament has rejected the government's plan to tackle migration. It's a major blow to President Emmanuel Macron. The proposed bill had attempted to balance the welcoming of skilled migrant workers with a crackdown on illegal migration. Macron's administration will now need to decide whether to rework the plan in the Senate or abandon it entirely. And that's the latest. I'm Keith Walker. And you're listening to DW's Africa Link program broadcast every week from Monday to Friday. Once again, I'm Isaac Mugabe. And my name is Josie Mahachi. We would also like to hear from you on the stories that we are covering. All you have to do is to go on our Facebook page, that is DW Africa, and tell us what you think in the comment section. Remember to also share the live stream with friends and families. Now, Kenya is marking 60 years since its independence from British colonial rule on December 12, 1963. Each year, the country celebrates the occasion with the national holiday Jamuri Day. And for much of the past 60 years, patriotic choral music has been a regular feature of those celebrations. Well, since Kenya gained its independence, the country has had its fair share of struggles. While the wounds of ethnic violence are slowly healing, the economic situation in Jersey is becoming unbearable. That's true, Isaac. And during his independence speech, President Ruto defended the high taxes the government recently imposed, calling them, in quotes, necessary sacrifice. In helping the country deal with ballooning foreign debt, which now stands at 70 billion US dollars. Of course, Jersey, when politicians talk about taxes, definitely mm. they'll defend their policies. Absolutely. Because mainly they don't do the shopping. They have people who do that work. But when you want to know the impact of taxes, you talk to the ordinary people. And that's mm. what exactly our correspondent in Nairobi, Telma Mazaya, did. The celebrations began early morning in earnest and the weather allowed the participants space to mingle. had a field day expressing themselves before the crowd that gathered at the historic Uhuru Gardens along Langata Road. Shortly before 1 p.m., President William Ruto took to the podium to address the nation for the second time on Jamuhuri Day since ascending into power. He ascertained that Kenya will be a visa-free country come 2024. Beginning January 2024, Kenya will be a visa-free country. Consequently, all travelers will obtain electronic travel authorization as they come to Kenya. William Ruto had a bag full of goodies where he honored several Kenyans in different categories in the awards of order, decorations and medals. He also explained that his administration has taken deliberate steps to build and invest in the creative economy. First, the famous Grammy Awards have a partnership with Kenya and starting January, the innovation studios of Hollywood have agreed to begin shooting multiple movies right here in Kenya. He defended his economic policies, reiterating that the tough measures 
will pay off. However, Kenyans have a different opinion. Florence Makeba was born when Kenya got independence, and she opines that things have gone from bad to worse. We've actually gone down. We've, there's no improvement. Kenya is not the Kenya we expected it to be. There's no growth. That's all I can say. If you'd ask me, I would tell you that I thought it would be much better than how it was then. But uh, right now, compared to some other years, the last uh, 10 years, it has been not of appealing that I would say. On the state of the economy, rising fuel prices are giving Kenyans sleepless nights, feels Philip Imbo, who is a cab driver. I haven't seen anything interesting today. There are no signs of people celebrating Jamuri Day. People are losing interest in such uh, celebrations. No, the burden is too much on us. The theme of this year's Jamuri Day celebrations is youth, the creative economy and sports personality. Sharon Wayuanoa is an ICT student at Masena University and is hopeful. It makes sense because it's the day we are celebrating peace, love and unity for Kenya. I like to see the government doing justice for people by bringing people together. As a pilot who has witnessed numerous Jamhuri Day celebrations, there is nothing to write home about this 60th one, says Peter Niero. But I have not seen any, any changes because uh, sometimes you don't need to celebrate the dependence if, if there are serious changes in a country. We've not really experienced anything serious or anything worth celebrating. Exactly. Just like I was telling you, the voices of ordinary Kenyans telling us about taxes in that short report mm-hmm. by Telma Mazaya. And before we continue, Josie, let's first delve in into some other comments about what Kenyans have been saying, the challenges that they're going through despite the fact today that it's celebrating. celebrating Independence Day. But yeah, are they really celebrating like we'll find out later. Nikiela says, high cost of living, corruption, nepotism, tribalism, poverty and disease still defines Kenya 60 years after independence. Nothing yet celebrates due to irredeemably poor leadership. And Joshua Kasaini says, as a Kenyan, I can say that we are extra miles in East Africa. Our infrastructure is so promising, new buildings all over the city. But the most discouraging part is corruption, especially the current regime of President William Ruto. Oof. Hilary mm. Mondi is also from Kenya. He says, nothing. The country gym is wasteful. But maybe one more comment before we continue, Jersey. Mm-hmm. Abdullah Osman says, I'm not Kenyan, but I think Kenya is one of the most stable countries in East Africa. And that is something that Kenyans should be proud of, including our program assistant here, Celestine Wasike. Absolutely. And has <laughs> Kenya progressed in terms of governance? Is the country on the right track? To get answers to this and more, I earlier spoke to Professor Mutai Hingunyi, a political scientist in Kenya. Kenya is uh, at a place where the colonial project that started uh, in 1963 just ended. And uh, by colonial project, I mean all the leaders we have had in the past were part of the colonial project. Actually, four presidents. They were continuing the work of the colonizer. And what we have experienced in the last election is that we had a nondescript person coming in, a person we did not expect to win this election. And he came in, he became president, and he has completely new ways of doing things. And uh, he's uh, caused a total paradigm shift in all manner of ways, from taxation to discovering new frontiers. He's opened up new ways of doing things. He's broken 
from the past scripts that were read by the last uh, four governments, and I worked for all the, the three governments that were in the past. I worked for Moi, I worked for Moi Kibaki, I worked for Hugo Kenyatta as his technical assistant based at State House. And I can tell you that the methods that are being introduced by these gentlemen are completely a breakaway. Speaking of new ways of doing things, I understand that very well. But don't you think that um, President Ruto's government could have prepared Kenyans better um, before he introduced all these drastic measures? Because when we talk of uh, salaries, when we talk of incomes, I mean, everything is skyrocketing. Life seems to be so difficult right now in Kenya. I'm also in shock. I cannot lie, Josephine. I'm also in shock that he is, he has done things completely differently. But what he's inviting us to do is to go for bold decisions over popular decisions. Because you go for bold decisions, you go, you go for uh, uh, popular decisions, you make people happy. Uh, but, it, but popular decisions do not bring you transformation. And I think uh, we are all in shock as a country, mm-hmm. but we are beginning to see slowly that his bold decisions that do not have to be popular decisions have some kind of benefits that uh, we are going to reap uh, with time. He's broken completely away from the uh, uh, past ways of doing things, from the past script, the script we follow for the last 60 years. Mm-hmm. Speaking of him breaking from the old ways, I mean, we cannot yeah. ignore the aspect of economic development and social stability, which I understand a lot of Kenyans or rather maybe three quarters of Kenyans are struggling with right now. What can you say about that? Economic development and uh, Kenyans are struggling, it is true. But uh, what used to happen in the past, the script of the past 60 years, is that if you had an economic problem, you subsidized the problem. If you have a problem with fuel, you subsidize, no, no, the production of the of fuel, but you subsidized the consumption of it. But this government has told us we will not subsidize consumption, we will subsidize production. Take the question of uh, maize, which is a staple food here in Kenya. Uh, he has said he will not subsidize uh, the consumption of maize. He will subsidize the production of it. So he went for fertilizer. And uh, right now we have uh, a bumper harvest and the price of the maize flour has gone down. Although we are confused by his methodology, it looks like there is some kind of logic to that madness. Speaking of logic to that madness you're talking of, let's also talk about his, I mean, constant or rather so many trips that he has partaken already in, in, in his term as president. Is this something that you can compare with uh, with other past presidents you've worked with? I worked for Hugo Kenyatta for about five years, and the biggest problem he had was people complaining that he's traveling too much. So this is not a new problem for Kenya. But in the case of William Ruto, the reason why he's traveling is because he has realized that, that uh, remittance is coming from exported labor into different parts of the world has become the biggest annual foreign currency in Kenya. So his argument is, and I agree with it, that if we can export labor 
and then we get remittances, and they have they, they, they have become bigger than exporting our coffee and our tea. Why not? Before I let you go, I just want us to talk about the role of Kenya in Africa's development. Kenya is very critical, uh, critical for the Indian Ocean Belt. Kenya is surrounded by countries that are completely unstable, starting from Somalia, uh, South Sudan. Uh, the Central African Republic is not very far from us. The DRC, that's the Democratic Republic of Congo. So Kenya is is pivotal in terms of ensuring that the sub-region is uh, stable. Okay, congratulations to Kenya and Kenyans for clocking 60 years of independence. I was speaking there to Professor Mutai Nguni, a political scientist in Kenya. And just to remind those joining us, you are listening to DW's Africa Link program broadcast every week from Monday to Friday. My name is Josie Mahachi, and as usual, we appreciate your input on the stories that we cover on Africa Lint. Send your contribution on our Facebook page, DW Africa. We also appreciate everyone tuned in through all our partner stations across the continent. And today it's a Kenya production story, uh, Kenya at 60. Mm-hmm. But to remind you, throughout this year, 2023, Kenya streets were a breeding ground for dissent from alleged electoral injustices or malpractices. To the rising cost of living, Kenyans have not shied away from voicing their concerns. Indeed, Isaac, multiple waves of protests led by the opposition swept the nation, culminating in a crucial turning point. Bipartisan talks aimed at addressing these grievances. And DW's Andrew Wasike was always on the ground to capture those moments, so he gave us a brief what happened throughout the year in this report. As the year comes to an end, Kenyans are struggling with the rising cost of living, with many not being able to afford essential commodities. However, protests have been subdued largely due to ongoing dialogue between the government and opposition groups. Dubbed the National Dialogue Committee, NADCO, members of the opposition want the government to cut down on travel expenses and taxes, among other key demands, as explained by Kalonzo Musioka. A member of the opposition. NADCO recommends that all arms of government shall reduce their travel budgets by 50% and that the Salaries and Remuneration Commission review daily subsistence allowances for state and public officers with a view to reducing by 30%. However, Duncan Ojuang, a law lecturer, told DW that Kenyans are satisfied with the progress made and that's why they are no longer protesting. Every Kenyan know that part of our problem, including economic, have a political angle to it. The economic damage that uh, demonstration and picketing did, as economical perspective, we have been in the trenches. We know people who are demonstrating and we know they are satisfied. I met with citizens who, while hopeful, still held onto a healthy dose of skepticism. They shared stories of loved ones impacted by the protests and of livelihoods affected by the grievances that brought them to the streets. Maria Kamau, a second-hand clothes vendor, closed her business because of the high cost of living. It hurt so badly and many have been closed down. And if it goes on like this, more businesses are going to shut down. Other traders also voiced similar sentiments. High cost living has sent very many traders back home where they have their pay rent. You cannot afford to pay rent in our respective estates. And this has resulted to very many failures in life. Things are still bad. 
if Mr. President can come down and listen to the common Mwanainchi, the better. Many Kenyans say that the issues that ignited the protest remain woven into the fabric of Kenyan life. The conversations may have moved indoors, but the desire for a better tomorrow resonates just as strongly. Thanks, Andrew Asike, for that report. Now, as we mentioned today, it's all about Kenya. The government has rolled out the Social Health Authority, an initiative aimed at transforming healthcare from cradle to grave. It is among the many ambitious projects that President William Ruto is pushing for despite dissent from various sections of society. Well, without much ado, the following report presented by Jenny Ngingi starts with Kenya's Health Minister, Susan Wafula, explaining more about the ambitious plan. We have reformed and now we have social health authority. What we have done in social health authority is to ensure that we take care of Kenyans from the beginning of their life to the end. From the time a mother is expectant, that is covered under social health authority until to the time that that person is maturing and, God forbid, death. We have covered in the social health authority. Many Kenyans remain skeptical about the new health care system. For instance, how is the government going to provide comprehensive cancer care for all citizens and what measures are in place to ensure its success in this critical area of health care? Health Minister Susan Nakumincha explains further. Specifically for cancer, we have ensured that we are covering screening and diagnostics at 100%. We have ensured that all treatment for cancer is covered at 100% because we have a publicly funded primary health care system. That is where most of the screening and diagnostic would happen. Then once you kick into the secondary care, we have the social health insurance. And that is where your insurance will be taking care of you without exclusion, without limitation. But the best of social health authority is the third fund, which is the emergency a critical and chronic illness fund. And let me tell Kenyans, the beneficiaries of this social health authority, the ones who are going to benefit at most, are people with chronic, critical illness and emergency care. Powerful words from the minister, but to truly understand the impact, we need to hear from the people it affects. Kenyans are not happy that every household across the country will now pay approximately 3% of their monthly income to the newly created as Social Health Insurance Fund. The insurance scheme targets everyone above 18. Those who fail to pay their monthly contribution will be fined and might be locked out from government services. On the streets of Nairobi, Kenyans spoke about the expectations and reservations regarding the new social health care plan. Everybody has a right. You have a right to choose what is good and what is bad. You have a right to choose the insurance you want. The government should look at, at all at all causes, fight for the people and the people's health. Celestine Joki, a cancer survivor, is concerned about the facing out of the insurance fund NHIF. She emphasizes that NHIF covered her treatment expenses during her chemotherapy sessions. During my cancer treatment, NHIF was covering everything. So I went into Kenyatta, I had total mastectomy, I didn't pay a cent. 16 cycles of chemo and radiotherapy every day for four months. We paid zero, zero balance. The Kenya Medical Practitioners, a pharmacist and dentist union, KMPDU, 
has also strongly opposed the recently enacted Social Health Insurance Fund Act, asserting that it could deprive over 3 million Kenyans of healthcare access. Davji Benji is the KMPDU Secretary General. Won't be assured to access care in all the hospitals. And that's why we are saying this must change. There's a gross injustice and the breach of our duly signed collective bargaining agreements on the provisions of the comprehensive cover. These are just the initial thoughts from the public, doctors and the government as the healthcare plan takes shape. Kenyans are ready to change, but they are also worried. Jen Nyingi presented that report by Andrew Wasike in Nairobi. Now, some breaking news uh, on climate-related issues. Uh, Arab energy leaders have said oil and gas will be the pillars of global energy for many decades to come. Those pushing for the removal of fossil, or reduction of fossil fuels have been dealt a big blow because the Arab leaders, especially in Dubai, that the COP28 is taking place, have said oil and gas is there to stay. Speaking of energy, that takes us to what Kenya's President William Ruto mm. said in promoting the East African nation as a green energy champion, but the country has a way to go. Kenya, for example, serves as a good example of what is possible. Our national grid currently operates at 3 gigawatts with 93% of that power being renewable. Our ambition is audacious yet achievable, 100% renewable by 2030 and a 100 gigawatt grid entirely renewable by 2040. The restoration and expansion of Africa's natural carbon sinks are not just an environmental imperative, in fact, they are an unparalleled economic goldmine. They have the potential to absorb millions of tons of CO2 annually, which should translate into billions of dollars if we were living in a fair world, improve livelihoods and millions of opportunities across this continent. And that is why the conversation of North versus South must come to an end. Who did what is not a conversation that we have the luxury to engage in, because when the apocalypse happens, it will happen for all of us, for the entire humanity. Kenyan President William Ruto. Now let's shift gears and go on a rather somber story. Uh, tributes are flowing into award-winning South African singer Zahara, whose debut album made her an overnight pop sensation after her death at the age of 36. Zahara's record company announced her death late on Monday. Zahara sang in choirs as a child and taught herself guitar. Her voice drew comparisons to Tracy Chapman, Johan Ama Trading and India Ari. She burst into the music scene in 2011 with her debut album Lolly Wear, selling out in 72 hours. Zahara was billed alongside Yuma Sekela, James Ingram and Lauren Hill at Africa's biggest jazz festival in 2012. She released five albums and won 17 South African Music Awards, the country's top accolade in all. Well, no cause of death has been announced, but Zahara was admitted in hospital last month following complaints about physical pains. That's according to a family statement. Talking Sports.
That's right. It's time to to talk sports. And Isaac, obviously, I know that's your favorite segment. Yes. What's the latest in the sports world today? Without doubt, without doubt. Uh, of course, Champions League resumes today. And guess what? So many, there's so much to look forward to. Uh, Manchester United will be will be hosting mm. Bayern Munich at Old Trafford. And uh, Copenhagen will play. Uh, Copenhagen in Denmark will host Turkish side Galatasaray. In other games, yeah, in Germany, Inyo Berlin will be taking on Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so much talk about those games, Joseph. All right. Before we continue on that, I mean, mm. my social media platforms have been awash the whole day mm-hmm. because Same of what? Victor Osiman. Yes. I mean, and hey, Aziza Oshola uh-huh, of Nigeria. You know, and Nigerians are, you know, boasting today. Yeah, you exactly. know, it's their day. It's their day. Mm-hmm. I mean, the homeboy and homegirl, they clinched the prestigious Confederation of African Football player of their awards in Morocco, achieving a remarkable double triumph for their country. Who wouldn't be happy? And then many are saying he really deserved it. I mean, he... He deserved it. She deserved it as mm, well. That's, that's absolutely true. Mm. Isaac, now there's been criticism from England about how Bayern Munich played against FC Copenhagen. What is all this about? Well, they drew and uh, Manchester United fans wanted or expected Bayern Munich to thrash or to thump Copenhagen, but they drew 0-0 and they said it was a trick by Bayern Munich to dilly-dally with the ball, not to play according to standards, mm. so that Manchester United doesn't qualify. But Tuchel, has, the manager of Bayern Munich, has said, everyone who has a jazz of Manchester Bayern Munich plays at 100%. That means that Bayern Munich, Manchester United has to beat Bayern Munich, okay. hoping that the other game of Copenhagen and Galatasaray draws. So the mm. mathematics is difficult. Otherwise, today could be the end of Manchester United in the Champions League. And quickly, what should our listeners look forward to this weekend? Which game are we commentating? It's Borussia Dortmund and Augsburg. And we have someone to unveil. You know that person later, not today. <laughs> From me, Isaac, bye for now. And I'm Josie Mahachi. Choose. DW Made for Minds.